Good morning, good morning. It's so good to see you out the church this morning. Do you want to stand to your feet and we are going to worship together? Just before we start worship, I'm going to read from Psalm 100. It says this, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Church, we're here to praise God this morning. We're here to worship God. Despite what you've come in those doors with, we're here to worship God this morning. Let's sing together. strong 
thank you that through this storm, you are Lord. You are Lord of all. You are Lord of everything. Above it all, above everything. You're so worthy.
churches begin to sing out a song this morning if you don't have anything to say just declare the name of Jesus this morning you're so worthy 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 Jesus you're on the throne you're on the throne King Jesus King Jesus you're
Russell's own plan this morning, but God is here in our midst. God is here in our midst. Sometimes God just moves whenever, and this is the time, this is the moment. So we're going to sing this. I exalt thee, I exalt you, Jesus. Come on. And I exalt. Queen and presented it to her. And the Archbishop said these words 
our gracious Queen, to keep your majesty ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God as the rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes. We present you with this fruit, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Friends, try and picture what this scene would have been like. Here we have Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II sitting in all her splendor, wearing the crown jewels, which are thought to be worth between three to five billion pounds. And yet we hear that the Word of God is the most valuable thing that this world affords. Each of us sitting in God's house this morning hopefully have a copy of this most valuable gift. If not with us, then at home. We don't have access to Her Majesty, but we do have access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The one who is interested in hearing our voice. The one who sacrificed himself that we may live. This morning, those of us that are Christians, we have the privilege of remembering him and coming around the Lord's table. I'm just going to move on down here. So if you're visiting with us this morning, um, you'll have a small cup in front of you. And if you're a follower of the Lord Lord Jesus, then please partake of these emblems. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 to 24. For I received from the Lord that I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the mercy and grace you bestow upon us. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to take part in this breaking of bread this morning. Bless us to your body. I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing 
a song before Pastor Matt brings the word.
Father, thank you that you have brought us from the darkness into glorious light. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. We're so, so worthy of our worship. God, I pray as Pastor Matt comes to bring the word that we will listen to what you have to say through him. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you girls for leading us in worship. Darren, thank you for leading us at the table. Good morning. It is lovely to be back. Nice to go away, but always nice to come back. Nobody's going to say it's nice to have you back. (laughs) Gave you that time. Just as well I've got elephant skin, isn't it? (laughs) Let's just take a moment to pray. Father, we come before you. Thank you, Father, for sending your son, Jesus. Father, we come before you this morning as we've worshipped, as we've remembered. We come around your word. For, Father, it has something to teach us, to challenge us, to encourage us. Father, we come and we pray for those that are unwell at the moment. We continue to pray uh, for Mary Shaw. We just continue to pray and ask that you would touch her and heal her in Jesus' name. Father, for those in our congregation that are unwell, for those in our congregation who are grieving at this time, we pray that you would draw close to them. Father God, that you would be their comfort at this time. You would be their healer at this time. Father, we thank you for this church, for all that you're doing. Pray you'll bless our time in your word together now. In Jesus' name, amen. The last couple of Sundays, Pastor Reese has started a new sermon series uh, looking at different Bible characters and their ups and downs in life. Um, The two things I thought as I looked at this, I thought, first one is this, I'm so glad that the Bible characters that we look at aren't perfect uh, because we are not perfect. And had they been perfect, they would have had nothing to teach us who, who are not perfect. Uh, so it's great that, the, that we look at their lives and we see the challenges, uh, we see their failures, we see their success, we see their victories, we see their defeats, we see the things that they deal with on their journey of life, much like the journey uh, that we go on. And as we read them, the second thing is this, is uh, though written many, many years ago, they still have something to say to us uh, today. But we know our journey of life often is one of ups and downs. Uh, there are times that we are, to use the, the spiritual phrase, that we are on the mountaintop and nothing could ever be wrong and it makes us feel as we stand there that nothing will ever go wrong again. Uh, there are times when we're in the valleys and we just wonder why God has abandoned us and he is silent uh, towards us. So it has something to say to us and that's why I like looking at the, the Bible characters uh, that we've been looking at. I know we've done four. I have the privilege today of doing David uh, from uh, the Old Testament, King David, and to look at the two things and many, many areas of David's life, many stories uh, that, that David I could have shared this morning and stuff. But I've, I've tried to pick two things about David that will help us uh, as people. Uh, the two occasions, once in the Old Testament, once in the New Testament, David is mentioned as a man after God's own heart. Uh, He's the only man that's described that way 
And so in this part of the first part of the sermon this morning, we're going to look at, well, what does that mean? Because I think it's an important phrase, it's important to understand, particularly in church circles today where we place so much emphasis on people who are gifted, uh, people who have lots of abilities or talents, and that, that actually the prerequisite, the thing that God looks for above all else, are people after his own heart. It's said of, uh, in 1 Samuel 13 verse 14, it, it, this is said to Saul, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. In the New Testament, in Acts 13, verse 22, it says, After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. That was a phrase that was given, the title that was given uh, to David. And David, as we know, was a man of contrast. We know there are times in his life that we could speak of the great victories we had and I could stand up here and talk to you about his defeat of Goliath. But he was guilty of some serious sins as well and moral failures uh, such as adultery with Bathsheba and the complicity in the murder of her husband Uriah to try and cover it up. Yet David had these incredible spiritual experiences as well and still... God names him as the man after his own heart. Uh, and so we look at what that means, uh, the understanding of who God is and what God can do. If you read the Psalms, and I love the Psalms because uh, David writes the expression of his heart. He writes about where he is at that point if he's in trouble. He writes about that if he feels as though God has given up on him. He writes about that if he's praising God and thanking God, then he, he writes about that. And that's why we love David, because he expresses his disappointment, his failures, his victories, his troubles, his fears, and his faith. Now, David didn't have it easy to start with. Uh, they were looking for a king. And so the God had told him which house to go to. And so bring out the brothers. And we read in 1 Samuel 16 verse 7. Uh, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And this is not the physical organ that pumps the blood around the body. It's that which encompasses a person's passion, their, their choices, their direction in life, uh, their knowledge, their calling, where all of that is directed to. It's a centre of our feelings as well. There's no way we can sort of deny that our feelings don't play a part in that. It's a danger sometimes when it can become too much feeling. But the reality is it has to be some feeling you know that you know you you would say to to your wife well i hope you would uh, i i love you. you well okay maybe you wouldn't but <laughs> it's a bit of advice might be good to uh i love you but you would say it with 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 a, with a feeling you know because you'll be able to spot that if you don't feel that way about you know that so you say it with feeling so uh and we we know that we have a heart for something we have a heart for someone. You could think of somebody and say they have a heart for this. They have heart. This is where their calling, their passion, 
the direction he is going towards. You know, the Bible speaks about the, the glad heart, the loving heart, the fearful heart, the courageous heart, the repentant heart, the revived heart, the anguished heart, the humble heart, the delightful heart. Uh, because the heart is so important. You know, those of us who remember far back will remember maybe a time when we got our hearts broken. Do you remember some of you? Yeah? Remember, you used to go home and put the cassette. Now, you young ones, ignore this bit. <laughs> maybe you had a special cassette and there was a special song, and as you played that song, that reminded you of your heart that was broken. Do you remember? Okay, no worries. Here we go. The best description of a man after God's own heart is a man or a woman who yearns to please God, desires to grow spiritually, and it is a desire to obey. God's seed grows in fertile soil. The most fertile soil is the heart. The heart of David was prepared for the call of God. His heart was open for God to have access to him. You know, David realized that God wasn't just watching him, it says in scripture that he was actually moved you know God is moved by our choices our responses I have no doubt that as we come into church this morning and some of you are going through the most difficult of times and challenging of times that it moves God when you make the choice to say I worship you God above all that is going on in my life beyond and above all that is happening I think that moves God I don't think God sits up there in a sense of looking down upon us and ticking off that we worshipped him this morning I think he's moved because our heart is directed towards him that our passion is ever we're simply saying no it's not easy God I choose to put my heart first towards you and it moves him and when David understands it changes his whole life imagine for yourself that first situation you hear that the great prophet Samuel is coming to visit and that out of the eight sons you're not involved because it was always the oldest that was going to get picked and if it wasn't the oldest then there was a load of other brothers that was coming before David and actually what they did with David they actually said David there's not a chance of you being picked it's definitely not you what you need to do just go back out into the fields and look after the sheep he said he doesn't even get the privilege he doesn't even get to witness one of his brothers getting picked to be the person that God has chosen to be king they, they could have said you sit at the side there we know it's not going to be you but you can watch anyway they don't even do that they send him out into the fields he was the least important the most insignificant one if God is going to select the next king it won't be you I'm glad at times that God often disregards human customs and traditions to accomplish his purposes. That we look sometimes and we think, that would be the person I would pick. And God has other ideas. God has another plan and another purpose. He does not always pick the most educated. He does not always pick the best looking. He does not always pick the most gifted. He does not always pick the most able, but God always picks the right one. He always picks the right one. 
And that gives us encouragement today. We don't have to be better than everybody else. He says we don't have to be faster than everybody else. There'll always be somebody faster or better or bigger than us. He says, but in God's eyes, he picks the right one. Three things I got from this is, first one is this, the most important calling is the one God gives you. How true is that? That actually when we find that calling, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. And in 24 years, I found that sometimes people would tell me that I'm not the best at this, or I'm not good at that, and I don't mind any of that. It says, because I know that God has called me and I am the right person. Maybe not the best person. There are better preachers than me. Amen. I know you're waiting to say that. <laughs> there are better people doing things, but listen, God picks the right person. See, he picked David because David was the right person. The eighth son, no chance of being the king looking at the tradition and the human customs of thing, it wouldn't be him but God picks him, why? because the second thing we see is this, the only thing that matters is what God says about you, boy do we live in a society, in a culture at the moment, we're so concerned with what everybody else thinks about us, rather than what God says about us and you see, we could drum into people, this is how God feels about you. This is what God says about you. Because it really is the only thing that matters. It really is the only thing that's important. And for David, that's the thing that matters. He sees brothers look down on him, but God lifted him up. It didn't matter who was coming before him. He was the right person. Man looks at the outward appearance, But the Lord looks at the heart. See, that's the most misquoted verse in scripture because people always apply it to the clothes you wear to church. It has nothing to do with the clothes you wear to church. It has everything to do with the inner attitude of our heart. That actually doesn't matter about the outward appearance, God is saying. He's looking at the heart. But that's where our passion and our calling is. God always sees the true us. And God has seen and saw David's heart. And this most importantly, the tenderness of the spirit. And I thought, what a wonderful phrase there. That simply was just in touch with, with what God was saying and what God was doing. You know, we can lose sight of things sometimes, particularly in church. We can lose sight and say, well, it's these things that matter and those things that matter. Listen, what matters is worshipping God and hearing God and doing what God tells us to do. We can get sidetracked sometimes by other things happening. And all that is to do is to divert us away from what God has called us to do. But David had this tenderness of spirit that, that he heard God. And he did what God called him to do in hearing God. And you see, God needed a warrior king, the gentleness of heart to establish his kingdom. And David was the right man. What mattered to God was David's heart. And only God could judge that. He was the man that God had been looking for. He was the man that God had chosen. The Lord spoke to Samuel and says, Rise and anoint him, he is the one. And imagine before his brothers and, and the elders in Bethlehem. Because let, let's be human about this. All these other brothers are standing there thinking never chance to be the king. 
And actually, in comes this little squirt, David, who's out looking after the sheep. And God tells Samuel, that's the one. He's the one. Anoint him because he's going to be the next king. And you see, for the brothers, they're standing there. And we, we would be like this. I would be like this. You would be as well. You just won't admit it because you're in church. <laughs> you would look and see and say, that should, that should have been me. I, I'm more qualified. I'm the eldest. You know, he, he looks after the stinking sheep out in the field. What does he know about being a king? And it wasn't that it, David was necessarily the best qualified at that point. He was the right person. He was the person that God was looking for because it wasn't uh, letting him fill out a resume of gifts and abilities and talents. He was looking at his heart. And he saw something in David's heart and said, that's the sort of man or woman that I want. That's the sort of person I want to do the stuff that I need to be done. And so he picks David. Uh, and so we see here that he's, he's, we, the, the, this all is poured out upon him to represent the divine presence of God. Now it's interesting, there was no announcement, no fanfare. This was to be kept secret because if Saul had found out, then he would have killed David at that point because it was a threat to the kingdom. But this journey as God's chosen one begins here. It begins because God recognises the heart to begin with. You know, those days and nights that David had spent out in the fields tending the sheep, practicing his slingshot skills and, and writing some of the psalms that he would later put down on paper, this was all preparation. He says, God never does anything instantly in our lives. You know, the older I get and, and I look back and I think to myself, you know, when I wanted something to happen instantly, it never did. But the best things that happened in my life were when God took me on a journey over a length of time to develop what needed to be developed in me and prepared what needed to be prepared in me. I would be like, I want it now. I want the Holy Spirit to sort of blast me with something now and that would just make everything better and change me. But God doesn't work like that. He looks at the heart and then he prepares the man. How do we know he did that with David? It was 15 years from this point before David was king over Judah there was another seven years after that before he was king over Israel and he teaches us that God is never in a rush with us he says where we would look at it and say God I prayed today please answer my prayer tomorrow God often takes his time because he's developing and preparing the person because he's witnessed and seen something in the heart to begin with and so he prepares them but all this time God was working on his heart he was preparing him C.H. Spurgeon said this he says whenever God means to make a man great he always breaks him in pieces first he says how true is that to be the person that God wants he's often on a journey and sometimes it takes you further away from the calling that God has put upon your life. But God is still preparing you. He's not abandoned you. He's not given up on you. He did that with David. There were many, many battles that had to be fought. Not just the one with Goliath. And then 15 years later, and then seven years after that, he fulfills the calling that God had given him. But it all began because what God saw in his heart four quick things we see uh, why David is called a man after God's own heart that will help us the first one is this he had faith in God 
I know that sounds a bit strange sometimes, that we have faith in. Well, that's obvious, isn't it? Not always. And actually, it's not always obvious that people have faith in God. When you're presented with a problem, we're presented with an opportunity to put our trust and faith in God or to fix the problem ourselves. That's the opportunity we're presented with. Every time you face a difficulty or a challenge, or I do, there's a tendency, and I'm like this, that I would look at the problem and say, back off God, I could sort this one out myself. And we tend to do that at times. We tend to look at it and say, well, I could fix this. What do I need God for? says, David had faith in God. Presented with the problems and the difficulties and the obstacles, he tells God and said, listen, I'm having my faith in God. I'm putting my faith here because of what I believe. The second thing is this, he loved God's word. The 150 Psalms in the Bible, David is credited with writing over half of them. As I've said, writing of various and often troubling times, he repeatedly mentioned how much he loved God's word. Last year I spent three or four months just reading Psalm 119. 176 verses in it and there's one theme. David wrote it, the word of God. He said, and he just from beginning to end, he just speaks about the word of God. When you get some way through it and think, is that nearly the end? It's like, no, he carries on talking about the word of God and the power of the word of God in his life and how it gives him direction and guidance and why he loves God's word. And it's a love that he has there that's tied in with his heart. The third thing is this, he was truly thankful David's life was marked by seasons of great peace and prosperity, as well as times of fear and despair. But through all of the seasons of his life, he never, he never forgot to say thank you to the Lord for everything that he has. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. It was something that it was ingrained in his heart, not just having faith and loving God's word, but a thankful attitude as well. But it brings us on because we can't just keep talking about the ups in David's life. We've got to talk about the downs as well. But the things are, that he failed at, that he messed up at. But the fourth thing was this, he was truly repentant. As I said, we can't speak about the ups and downs in David's life without speaking about his failure and the challenges that came with that and what he did wrong there says how many of the ten commandments he broke in one situation the adultery the murder the subsequent cover-up that David instigated this was a man after God's own heart what was drawn to this quote whenever we talk about David well we'll see as we go on the journey here sin will take you further than you want to go keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. Uh, and this really sums up David's, uh, this, this portion of David's life, this part of his David's life. You see, we have to look up to begin with what David was doing, what he should have been doing, and what he shouldn't have been doing. Because often we fall into these difficulties and these challenges because we're spending our time doing the things that we shouldn't be doing. David's in his late 40s. He could be forgiven for staying at home, but instead of leaving his army into battle, he stayed behind in Jerusalem. He has become accustomed 
to the luxurious life of the palace and his desire to stay behind leads him one night to be on the roof of his house. There he spots a beautiful woman bathing and from there David's relationship with God begins on a downward spiral. See, we often say sometimes that the greatest enemy that David faced wasn't Goliath, it was Bathsheba. And though we can't attribute the blame here to Bathsheba because David is the king and David made the wrong choices. And I always notice in this story the progression of what happened because you don't always everybody thinks you automatically almost fall into sin sometimes oh it just happened this story proves that it doesn't because it tells us there are four stages that David saw her that point of seeing her he could have walked away he could have said that's not good there's a woman I don't think this happens much on the Shankill Road but there's a woman bathing on the rooftop maybe I need to walk away he should have walked away he didn't walk away that was his first mistake the second thing is seeing how beautiful she was he's the king he says I'm going to ask and find out who she is so he sends somebody to find out who she is that's the second mistake he made you see the progression that's happening here this is not something he's accidentally falling into this is something he's making a choice about he says after he's inquired of her and asked who she was he does this he sends for her he says and to, to, to his servants, he says, go and bring this woman to me. He says, I want to know more about her. That's his third mistake there because at any of these points, he can walk away. At any of these points, he can turn around and say, listen, I'm the king. I not only set the spiritual example to the people, but I set the moral example to the people as well. And he's not doing that. He says, and finally, the fourth thing, he, he, he slept with her. He could not have imagined while looking at, out of his city, spotting a beautiful woman, that the consequences of that look, of that glance, of looking out over the rooftop where he should have walked away, he could not think that actually the consequences of this is going to be the murder of somebody. And he does... Well, if we were honest, what lots of us would do, he tried to cover it up. Thought he was the king, so he thought, I can cover it up. So the worst sin you can commit is any sin you think you can get away with. Those things that nobody knows nothing about. Oh boy, if you knew my full story, you would look at it and say, how could he preach the word from the frontier? But boy, if I knew your full story, I'd be asking, how could you sit in church this morning? <laughs> Why? Because we're all in this same boat. We're all in this same place. There are things we don't want people to know about us. And he says there is uh, that sin that you commit, that, well, I think I can get away with it because I've covered it up. And David does this. He tries to cover up his sin. He's broken the commandment of adultery. So what he does, he plans in covering up. He says, I'll bring a husband home. And he says, husband hasn't seen her in a while. We're adults. We know what's going to happen, don't we? And so, but Uriah, he's the only man of integrity here. He says, I'm not coming home. I'm staying with my soldiers. Suddenly David thinks, hey, I'll do something else here. 
I'm in a panic now because, you know, th th this is happening. He says, Uriah's not coming home. W what am I going to do? He says, so he instructs Joab and he says, see Uriah. He says, do this. Stick Uriah at the front of the battle. And then tell everybody else to withdraw. And then, you know, the obvious will happen. He'll be killed by the enemy. And I will have covered up my sin. He doesn't say that, but in his heart, his nose, I'm covering up my sin. Says David, that this is what happened. Uriah was killed. David has covered up his sin. He has Bathsheba now. He marries her. He has a son. But it's not over because 2 Samuel 11, verse 27 says, The thing David had done displeased the Lord. Says, now that begins the second part of the story here. He thinks he's gotten away with it. Time has gone on. As time goes on, you think, I got away with this. He says, nobody knew about it, but God knows. I'm sure every time David thinks about it, he pushes it out of his mind and he says, I don't have to deal with it. It's been dealt with. I made a mistake. We, I can get past it and only I know. But one day Nathan the prophet shows up. He tells him a parable of a rich man who has a large number of cattle and sheep and the poor man has one lamb. A traveller comes into town and the rich man, instead of taking one of his own sheep, he takes the one lamb off the poor man. David's anger is aroused. He's furious that this would happen. I'm the king. I need to deal with this rich man who has everything but has taken the one thing off this poor man who did not deserve to die. Nathan just points at David and says, you are the rich man. I know what you've done, and God knows what you've done. See, when David condemned the rich man's sin, he condemned himself. Nathan launches into this stern judgment. He reminds him of this. He says, uh, he reminded David of what God had done for him. He says, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king. I delivered you from Saul. I gave you your master's house to you. I gave you Israel and Judah. And he says this wonderful profound thing at the end, which I think is incredible. He says, if all this had been too little for you, David, he says, I would have given you more. God actually says, I would have given you more. And then he reminded David of that list of offences. Yeah, you struck down Uriah, you took his wife, you covered up your sin. And then thirdly, he reminds David of the judgment that has to come. And he says... Because we must understand this, because often today in churches we don't like to talk about sin or the things that people do wrong. But whatever we label it as, we have to understand this. There are always consequences to people's actions. Always consequences to people's actions. And there was a consequence here to David's actions. And verse 13 sums up the only response that David can have when he says... I have sinned against the Lord. You know, God doesn't condone or excuse David's sin under the reason that David in a moment of weakness or, or David was only human or David was weak and he gave in to temptation. I know times we can hear those phrases said for things that can happen, but we've got to look on the other side. When David saw her, he could have walked away. He didn't need to ask who she was. 
He says he could have gone back down and put the thought out of his mind. He didn't. He says, why? Because he went further than he should have. David repented of his sin. He received God's forgiveness, but the consequences of that sin doesn't disappear. But the wonderful thing here about as God restores David, he still reminds him that he's a man after God's own heart. And this would always be one of the things we struggle with. How can David, who had done all of the things that he'd done, still be the man that, that, that was after God's own heart, still be the man that the lineage of Jesus was coming down through? But I think because he writes these words in Psalm 51 that help us, it says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. See, all have sinned greatly, made mistakes, failed. But the good news today is this. All and each and every one of us can find forgiveness and cleansing and restoration just as David did. There is no sin that God cannot forgive because of what his son Jesus Christ did on the cross. If you are holding on to your sin and carrying it around with you, thinking you are punishing yourself, you don't need to because Christ Jesus took it on the cross for you. See, David's appeals for forgiveness and restoration, they're not based on his heart. They're not based on him having a heart after God. That doesn't give him an excuse. It's based on what is presented to you and me today, which is God's grace, God's mercy, and God's reconciliation, which is open and available to each and every one of us because he loves you and me, and he demonstrated that love by sending his son, Jesus, to die on the cross because he loves us. There is no sin that can be, can't be forgiven today. Not because of the energy that we could put into punishing ourselves, but simply into what Christ Jesus has done for us. David knows his sin is always before him. His sin, his prayer, because with God there is always hope, there is always redemption, and there is always restoration. In my office there, there is, I have a favourite spiritual word. Everybody should have a favourite spiritual word. It was given me on my 20th anniversary. And do you know what the word is? The word is redeemed. I've been bought back at a price. The sins I have committed I pay for no more because Christ Jesus redeemed me on the cross. The longer I hold on to them, the longer I carry them, the longer I try and make my way through life with them, it takes away the power, it takes away the grace and the forgiveness that was shown on the cross by Jesus Christ. See, we're here this morning. We may carry the baggage of things that have happened to us, things that we have done, sins we have committed, mistakes we have made, failures, choices, whatever you want to word it as. We think it is unforgivable, but they are not. 
God is a restorer of all things. There may be some consequences we have to live with for the decisions we have made. But the reality is this, what God does in our life, it is the greatest work that he does, and has been the greatest work that he's done, in sending Jesus. There is nobody here this morning that needs to feel guilty, needs to feel as though they have to continue to carry that baggage because God has paid the price for them. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, he says this at the end of his life, this man was a slave trader. He, he, he traded slaves until he met God and understood what I've shared this morning about the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. He says this, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and Christ is a great saviour. You know, after David had, had committed the sin, he didn't stop writing the Psalms. He didn't stop doing what God had called him to do. He carried on writing them. There may well have been a more of a sense of reality of who he was because of the sin that he had committed. But two things we learned from David this morning is one, he's a man after God's own heart, the only man mentioned. But also this, God forgave him of the sins that he had committed. He restored him. Because of this, he recognised that he was a great sinner. But God, the plan for his life, and he saved him. He says, we take that as the good news this morning for what God has done. Let, let us pray. Father, we come before you. Father, the reality of the people that we read about in the Bible are those indeed that have ups and downs in their life. They experience great spiritual moments and experiences with you. But Father, they also experience devastating failure by the wrong choices that they make and the consequences of those choices. Father, if we just stop there, we would feel the condemnation and judgment of the things that we have done and the things that have happened to us but we don't need to stop there for Father all of those things that we have in our lives before us today we can present them before the cross of your son who died not just for the small sins not just for the sins that everybody sort of does not, not just for those accidental sins, those ones we call failures or mistakes. He died for all sin. The blood of your son covers all sin, forgives us from all sin. And if we get nothing else this morning, Father, it's this. The Father, we know that we can be forgiven today, restored today, that our baggage can be left at the foot of the cross today. Because though we are great sinners, Christ is a great saviour. And we thank you for that today. And Father, we ask your spirit, as we've spoken about this morning, God, would you speak to our hearts, Father? Father, would you, would you just say to some people, Father, they are forgiven. Would you say to some people that you can restore them? 
Father, would you say to some people that they could be reconciled with you, they could be brought back to you? Father, would you say to some people that they are redeemed, that, that, they, that, that their lives have been bought at a great price, that, Father, each and every one of us is gathered here today, Father, you could speak to us all individually and give us all something that we need to hear today by your Spirit. And Father, we just ask that you would do that. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
Name we pray. 